Okay. Are we good? Yep. We're live? Cool. Yeah. All right, so uh, welcome to Sierra Nova Comics Podcast, or the SNC Podcast episode, oh, go away, episode 13 with uh, Joel. And uh, to start off, uh, who are you and what do you do? Hey, my name is Joel Rodriguez. I am the writer and co-creator of the Dust County Chronicles, as well as the co-founder of Metal Ninja Studios. And the Dust County Chronicles, uh, by the time this air, should have just finished up on Kickstarter, uh, issue number two. It is a horror series that takes uh, tales that you know and love, throws a horror twist on them, and turns them into nightmares. And the cool thing about it is all of these short stories featured in the first two issues are all taking place in the same area. So starting in issue three, everything's going to be brought together. The entire format of the series changes, and it becomes a mini-series that takes everything and combines it all into one glorious nightmare. Oh, awesome. wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was the other thing you said you are a part of? Uh, Metal Ninja Studios, that's the uh, small press publishing company that we use to publish uh, Dust County Chronicles. Nice. Great, you have the next one. Yeah. Um, uh, so you you said you have a uh, Kickstarter, like it's going to end like in a couple hours actually, right? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, o'clock eastern yeah uh yeah we were trying to have you on before that but you know schedule and everything <laughs> um Dude, my schedule this month has been ridiculous <laughs> i think uh as of right now well right before the kickstarter started i took a new job and that's working as a consultant at a pharmaceutical plant completely out of left field wasn't expecting it then <laughs> launched the kickstarter and ended up while simultaneously running the Kickstarter, I clocked in about 230 hours in the month of October. Damn. It, it was 12-hour day, followed by 14-hour day, followed by 17-hour day, back to 12-hour day, nonstop for about two weeks. I was dead. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and a Kickstarter on top of all that. So, yeah, I know we've been trying to do this for a while. Uh, sorry it took so long. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, no, that's yeah, fine. Cool. We we kind of had some conflicting schedules, too, so problems. Uh, I work overnight, so I understand the struggle. Oh, yeah. I actually yeah, didn't I didn't go to sleep at all today. I don't know how I'm <laughs> up right now. But, uh, sleep is for the week. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, Give it a few minutes, you'll pass out mid-interview. That's how this works. <laughs> <laughs> Just, hey, Greg, you there? Um, uh, so you, this is your second Kickstarter, right? Or did you do one before that? No. Yeah. Um, well, what was I going with that? (laughs) Um, the questions are right in front of me too. Um, what advice do you have for like first time creators, like entering crowdfunding? Um, there are a couple of things that I can say. The first one is do your research and build your campaign ahead of time. Uh, there are a lot of people, not everyone, but enough that will hop on Kickstarter thinking it's a quick way to make money. 
Unfortunately, that is not how Kickstarter works if you want to be successful at it. Um, the Just County Chronicles, the first issue hit its goal in 10 hours. The second issue hit wow. its goal in 7 hours. Very nice. It, it, there was a lot of work that went into getting those numbers. Um, and a lot of pre-preparation, a lot of pre-marketing. We were working on the campaign, and we... Uh, by we, I mean myself and my business partner. We were working on the campaign for the Dust County Chronicles issue two for about two months prior to the actual launch. And then when the launch actually happens, it is essentially like a full-time job because you're out there promoting, you guys are in marketing, so you know. You go out there and you hit the pavement trying to get everything, everyone to the page as quickly as possible so pre-planning and work is a definite must um and then after the campaign make sure you fulfill in a timely manner um there's a lot of negative stigma with kickstarter where people will pledge to a campaign and not receive the rewards for several months if not ever um just because things happen so what i like to do uh, with Metal Ninja Studios. It doesn't work this way for everyone. I'm fortunate enough that it does. We don't go to Kickstarter until the book is done. So for issue number one, issue number two, the book was done and ready to go to print by the time we launched so that when the campaign funded and it was the end, we were able to go right into fulfillment. And that's the plan that we have going for issue number two as well awesome yeah um yeah for our kickstarter that we actually got funded uh, a little while ago um we had the basically the comic all done except the lettering and then i got the letter the letter from travis gibb he's like oh yeah, use sure. this guy and i was like oh okay and uh he did like amazing work so i'm gonna use yeah, him for like was, uh, jerome right yep so yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna use him for like ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tell me that I'm a letterer. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll use you too. <laughs> well, definitely after looking at at my uh, my lettering job and then looking at his, it was like, oh, that that's why that's a whole separate job. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, for the Dust County Chronicles, I'm the writer as well as the letterer. I guess I forgot to mention the lettering part earlier, but um, yeah, I. I started doing lettering because I thought it would be a easy way to save some money. And it was <laughs> definitely not because I went in, I learned as many of the rules as I possibly could. And by now I've probably spent more money on lettering classes and fonts than I ever would have spent hiring someone to do it. So uh, luckily I love doing it. So I'm going to keep doing it. Well, that you can now use that skill with other people and get paid to do it and make that money back. So that's, you know, definitely still helpful. Yeah. 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 Getting well, paid to do it is nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're actually uh, looking to do that on our platform probably like next year is starting to do uh, like courses like Udemy or something. Uh, we oh, would okay. get letters or artists and then they would do like how to videos. And then oh, we would put them cool. on. Yeah. And then we would put them like either on our website or on our YouTube and then anyone that has a membership or whatever would be able to like use those videos and be like oh this is how you do that so oh, cool. yeah
So, uh, yeah, so speaking of getting into, like, lettering and just the writing of comics to begin with, what actually got you, what got you into comics at all, and what got you into making comics? Well, when it comes to comics, I've always been a huge fan of, of the medium in general, but the one that got me into it and got me actually paying attention to the creators' names was actually Spawn Number 1. Uh, you remember who the artist for that was? Yeah, this guy named Todd McFarlane. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I he just got a Guinness World Record. He did, and uh, Tom Orzechowski, the letterer, just got a record as well. Oh. Um. So McFarlane got the Guinness World Record for longest sequential independent comic book. And Orzechowski, the letterer, got one for the most sequential issues of a comic book lettered by an individual letterer because Orzechowski has done all except for one of the Spawn issues. Wow. Um, Yeah, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to Spawn. (laughs) So, back to the story, when I was a kid, my parents or my mom would take me to a local flea market whenever I had any extra money, a couple bucks that I would scrounge up. And I know exactly where I would go. I would go to the first aisle, turn right, go down a few, and that was my first comic book store. I would hang out there and pick out some comics from just a local vendor at the flea market. And one time I went there and I saw Spawn Issue 1. So I picked it up, probably a lot younger than I should have been to get Spawn Issue 1, but I got it, and I just fell in love with it. I knew eventually I'm going to want to do this. So fast forward, life gets in the way. I ended up um, leaving my parents' house, uh, moving in with my girlfriend at the time, getting married, starting or finishing college doing all of the other things except what i actually wanted to do i mean i'd say that but obviously i wanted to get married do all of that (laughs) stuff but it was the uh the college all the way through finding a job as an accountant it's it was a job that paid the bills but it wasn't the career that i wanted so after taking all of this time and not putting it towards comics I just decided, okay, what am I waiting for? I've already gotten the education. I've got the job. I, at this point, I'm coming up with excuses. I can't say I can't do it because I have homework. I'm coming home, and I have all this extra time. I need to finally do it. So about August of 2017, yeah, August of, no, August of 2018, I started writing the Dust County Chronicles. I had been writing comics on and off uh, since about 2015, working on essentially the coup de gras big series that I want to release. But everything that I learned in my research was don't start with that. Because everyone wants to start with their big series. But at that point, when you're first starting out, A, no one knows you, so you're not going to open to an audience. And B, your skills are not where they're going to be when it comes to releasing that series. So after all that research, I decided, okay, I'm going to start working on some other things. And I saw an opportunity to write for a horror anthology. 
And I thought, okay, I'll give that a shot. They wanted a five-page short story, so I wrote a five-page short entitled A Friend in Me. Yeah. When I finished it, I started looking for an artist. I connected with Roman Gubski, who's the artist on the Dust County Chronicles, and we put the art together and submitted it. Then we uh, never heard back. They didn't want it. So at that point, I had a choice. I could either keep going with it or I could scrap it and move on to something else. I learned that I love the story way too much, so I decided to keep going with it. Next thing I know, issue number one is up on Kickstarter, successfully funded, and we have successfully funded issue number two. So... Yeah, it, it's kind of a snowball effect. You finish the first one, and then you get addicted to it, and you just got to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's awesome. So uh, based on uh, how you've been moving along and uh, where you've gotten so far, what do, you, uh, what do you hope to accomplish in the next, say, five years, and then what do you hope to accomplish in the next ten years? Well, um, so... Uh, the next year, we'll start there. The next year, the Dust County Chronicles is going to conclude. Uh, it's going to, the current arc is going to finish with a five issue miniseries. So that'll be next year. That's two years into my comic career. Um, by the time I get five years in, I want to be, uh, have at least two more series out and my hopefully by that point two or three trades by the time i hit 10 years i want to be doing this full time um i started writing comics at the age of 25 so by the time i hit 35 i want to be doing it full time um either lettering or uh writing doing something in the industry full time um they there's a common phrase in this industry called 10 years to an overnight success and that's because pretty much everyone that we can think of brian michael bendis all of these huge names they kind of exploded onto the scene when really they were grinding the gears for 10 years before that so that's kind of what i'm hoping for grind the gears for 10 years and then things take off so yeah, well, definitely, because that's the, that's the other thing, too. A lot of people, um, you know, they might just start and hope that by, you know, 10 years they might get there. But it is, you have to be grinding the whole time. Like, you oh, have to yeah. nonstop working. And and one, I'd say the other big thing that needs to happen is you need to network like crazy because that's, that's where, like, that's where that 10-year magic normally happens. It's when you finally meet somebody who all of a sudden three of the people you've met already all are connected with this one person who then knows the big person that you need and that's how it is it's like that one big jump you can make just because you've made the right connections along the way and like you know that that's networking is definitely hugely powerful like i know i've had incredible experiences just from connecting with people but you know if you're trying to get uh in an industry with art that's definitely uh, a big thing you need to know people you got to get connected Well, uh, it's actually funny that you say that because one unfortunate truth about this industry is it's not what you do, it's who you know. Uh, No one's really going to give your story a chance if you don't know the right people. You could have the next great American comic, 
but no one's really going to give it a chance until you get out there and make the right connections. Yeah, someone's um, going to get that, that thumbs up approval. <laughs> exactly. That's one of the reasons why I love Kickstarter is because you don't have to wait for that thumbs up approval to get started. Um, it gives you a chance to get things out there, to get things in people's hands so that when you start networking, you can say, I'm so-and-so, I'm Joel Rodriguez. This is what I've already done without your help. This is what I can do with your help. So that's why I love Kickstarter. But the funny thing about networking is my networking in the comics industry has actually helped me in ways that I was never expecting. Uh, when I say that this day job came completely out of left field, it's because I got the job because of a connection that I made as a comic creator. Oh. So it was complete. When I got into comics, I never thought that I would go from accountant to writing comics to, okay, now I'm a consultant at a pharmaceutical plant. It was, that is a transition that I never expected, but it all came from networking. Oh, 100%. I, 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 one of the best, like, chunk, like, so I, I work from home entirely, so basically I make money, I make as much money for how hard I work, essentially. If I, if I don't get work, I, if, I, if I'm not working, I don't get paid, if I work my ass off, I can get paid a lot. And it, it's great because the biggest, like, payday I ever got was connecting with um, people as I traveled, getting connected to their friends, and then getting an opportunity paying stupid amounts of money for uh, a skill that I've been building up on the side and have proof of concept. And so I, I you know, I got paid as a, a web consultant is what I got paid as. And, you know, that, that was like an incredible opportunity I only got because I just kept connecting with people. Yeah, yeah that's... It's the big two big things that you mentioned there were connecting with people and then proof of concept. Because if you have something that you can show people, then you're more likely to get your foot in the door. Because especially with comics, so many people say, I want to write a comic. I want to write a comic. There, As you guys both know, there is a lot that goes into creating a comic. There's the story <laughs> concepting, there's the scripting, then you got to find an artist, and then you find the artist, then you got to work it out, then you get the, uh, well, hopefully in there at some point you get an editor, because editors will save your life. Um, then you got to get it lettered on top of that, you got to get it printed, you got to get it published, all this stuff that no one knows to think when it comes to I want to write a comic so you get all of these big name publishers you get your scout comics your aftershocks your images all of these people they get people daily coming up to them saying I want to write a comic but yeah but, so everybody else <laughs> exactly so you can come up to them and say I want to write this comic for you this is what I've already done for me there's your proof of concept now you already have grounds to stand and they're more than likely going to listen to you. Yeah, whether or not you whether or not you get published at that point depends on the story you're pitching, but you're going to have more of a foot to stand on if you can show I already did all of this without you. This is why I want to bring something to you. 100%. Yeah, that's that's the that's the one thing um, that when we we when our first comic started uh, basically, I, I you know I kind of just like went through and just made sure there was you know spelling corrections and stuff. But now yeah. the way uh, Greg and I have been working, like, I'm actually going through and analyzing and breaking down like the whole story. So getting that editor definitely yeah. is super helpful. And uh, for um, 
the proof of concept basically there's uh there's there's two two lessons that i've learned from various you know digital mentors and one of them is to be worth a damn like you know people people you you need to have value you can give to other people just because you want something doesn't mean you'll get it you have to be showing that you've been putting some form of effort to get it whether or not it's comics or even if, it, if you want to you know get into a, a business like technology like right now like a degree is you know less valuable than you know 10 years of experience that you've been putting in on the side so it's definitely um like a huge a huge game changer specifically now and going into the future where degrees are going to become less valuable and proof of concept and work is going to be seen as extremely valuable and then, and then there's that uh there's that other book called uh, uh, "So So Good They Can't Ignore You," which is the uh, frame from um, what's it called? Uh, I think I think it was and the comedian. Uh, what's the, uh, Steve Martin? Yeah, he's the one that that talked about that because uh, he's talking about like for comedians, like if you want to, like there's so many people that want to do stand up that basically in order to get into that game, you need to be practicing every single day until you're yeah, so yeah. good that they can't possibly ignore you. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it goes back to the 10 years to overnight success thing that we talked about earlier. That 10 years of grinding is getting to that point. And then the overnight success is, whoa, we can't ignore you anymore. So let's see what you got. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, like you said, you were you grinding for the last two years. Uh, you know, you've had two very successful uh, Kickstarters. So, what is uh, what what is your immediate um, twenty twenty looking like? Like, what's are you going to be uh, trying to bring your comic to conventions? Are you going to be trying to go for stores? Are you trying to get it uh, more online? You know, what's what's your, uh, your what's your big push? Well, twenty twenty, the big push is going to be finish the story um with the issues that i already have out issues one and two um the big push for that is hitting the convention scene uh in my first issue in with the first issue in 2019 i did a bunch of conventions in orlando uh and all of florida but then it also took me for the first time ever out to north carolina so that was fun and I want to do more conventions, more traveling, all of that with issues one and two. In terms of digital and the online marketing, we are working on revamping the Metal Ninja Studios web store. So we're hopefully going to be releasing that within the next couple of months and work on promoting that in October, or not October, in 2020. I'm still recovering from the crazy month. So <laughs> we've got all of that and then the script for issue three is currently going through the editorial process so we're going to be getting that moving and by the end of 2020 my hope is to have all five issues of the dust county chronicles out and in the world very awesome and then uh i got a, i got a random question for you are those all pop funkers in the background you know, it actually took longer than it takes for most people. Yes, they they are. Um, what you can't see is that that string actually goes all the way around the room. I can see it going to the left. And I honestly, the second we started the feed, because we got like a list of questions, I wrote that question down right on the bottom. And I'm like, <laughs> I'll wait till we get through the good, you know, like the, uh, the questions that are like, I don't know, yep. important, yeah. I guess. <laughs> My wife has 
she has recently cut down on the collection because it, the problem with Funkos is they just keep coming. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she has a pretty sizable pop collection. Yep. It rivals my comic collection. <laughs> that is very cool. Because uh, no, the only reason I even... Uh, I, I didn't, like, get into them, but, like, I started learning a lot about them was uh, back in 2017. Uh, do you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? The name sounds familiar, but I can't place it. Ah, uh, where's his face? I got his book with his face. <laughs> there it is. Um... This, this guy. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so he uh, he's a huge, um, you know, uh, serial entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and uh, his company he owns right now, VaynerMedia, they do uh, digital media marketing. But um, basically, in 2017, he was kind of asked, you know, like, what's something practical that somebody who's trying to become an entrepreneur, uh, you know, trying to build their own business, and they don't have any uh, capital, how do they get started? And he basically was like, uh, the easiest thing to do is get into the flip game. And what does he mean by that? He means go to Craigslist on the, under the free section, go to garage sales, go to places where they're uh, giving stuff away for either free or way less than it's worth. Get that and repost it on Facebook, eBay, Amazon, and resell it. And he goes, you know, that that is like the single easiest and biggest way to make uh, money. Like he's like, even if you're, you know, like a drug dealer, that means you're a good salesperson. Why not get into this? Because it's legitimate and you can actually make more money if you do it correctly. And so um, what happened was just before he started um, pushing that, my cousin was collecting the uh, the loot crate boxes. You know what those are? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, so he, he had them for like six months. And there was uh, every box comes with anywhere from like four to like, 10 maybe 12 items like sometimes they're small but it's you know a big chunk yeah. of uh, yeah. items in it and they're all exclusive to loot crate T typically sometimes there's um a few things in there that aren't but usually it's all exclusive to loot crate and then in 2017 gary vaynerchuk uh, after pushing that created what what he called the 2017 flip challenge and his goal was to try to get people throughout the whole year to earn t t uh twenty thousand one hundred and or wait was it yeah, twenty thousand one hundred and seventy dollars for the year mm -hmm. and by, by doing flipping, and so um, I ended up getting all of his loot crate items, going through them all, and figuring out that all of the items in the loot crate themselves were worth more than the box cost, like sometimes by a lot. In fact, one of the boxes he paid fifty bucks for, there was a single Pop Funko in it, and it was um, what's her face uh, oh, okay. Overwatch, oh, okay. and it was. Uh, the girl that there was some controversy over because she, she was too sexualized or something. And it was a custom color they only made for Loot Crate. And that one item sold for $55. Yep, gotta yeah. love the resale market. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> so I did a ton of research into it. And then Greg and I went to a uh, local comic book convention and there were people that were selling um, Pop Funkos. And they were typically like buy two for for whatever 20 bucks or 10 bucks whatever whatever they were doing and i started looking some of them up and a lot of them were roughly that cost but every once in a while you'd get one and you'd find it is worth 30 dollars yeah like and that I'm purple like, reptar what, what was that purple reptar yeah yeah, yeah. from uh what was it uh rugrats yeah so there's stuff like that where it's like holy crap and so like i was like amazed how uh insanely valuable they were and then there was um 
I think I went to like GameStop and they had a couple there where they were like a, a completely gold version of various Pop Funkos and they only sold them at GameStop. Then I went over to Game or Think Think Geek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. And over there they had a bunch of ones only made by them and those also resold online for more. And I'm like, damn, like this there's a whole little universe of these things. Yeah. Uh, we got pretty into it my wife and i and what we were noticing was they were actually getting to the point where they were flooding the market uh because what they and you guys as marketing guys you'll appreciate this but with funkos they had this thing called a chase figure and what this was is think of it like an incentive for comics like the 125 incentives things like that except they wouldn't tell the retailers about it it's every few boxes they would slip in one of these characters it had a special sticker on it and it was different in one particular way those things when they were first announced and when they first started came out coming out they would skyrocket in value because of the rarity they were scarce you couldn't get it you didn't know where to go so people would go to stores at opening on funko delivery day just to see if there was a chase there so when they found out that the chase funkos would skyrocket they started producing more of them next thing you know everyone has chase figures everywhere and you started be the sticker no longer meant anything so so then they moved on to the next thing and the next thing and that's when we got out of it because it was just too much Yeah, no, definitely, uh, I, I definitely noticed that, uh, at first, yeah, like I said, like, that one that I resold, um, for, like, I, cause I actually sold that one, I think I ended up selling it for, like, $54 or something like that, like, yeah. so, it, like, they, like, they were huge at one point, and then I started noticing that they kept getting closer and closer to what they were selling at conventions, and I'm like, oh, okay, and it's, yeah, like, if they had, if they had played it smart, they could have just been, um, uh, what's it called, there's a, another book called, like, uh, uh, little big giants or little giants or something like that okay and, um, the whole concept is to stay intentionally small and then you can slowly increase the price like there's this uh this lady who only makes a hundred leather pants a year and so you have to get a special ticket to get on her list and so all the people are these huge high-end celebrities so she charges stupid amounts for these pants and then it's funny because then you if you somehow lucked out and got on this list you could then resell them uh, yep. because they're like you know extremely rare and like a lot of companies don't realize that like instead of trying to you know capitalize on the bolt like you you found a, a perfect little niche just like dig deeper <laughs> exactly i mean it's kind of like what's going on with uh san diego comic-con they're forced because of space and that's why they have the raffle but they're so constricted with their space that it's so hard to actually get a ticket to go to San Diego. Yep. So that's why everyone wants that ticket to go to San Diego because they have Hall H, all of the big stuff that's there, and it's so rare. That's why everyone loves it. Rarity is rarity is a reseller's dream because if it's rare, it'll skyrocket. Yeah. Like, I actually just saw a Spawn Spawn comic today that it was a reprint of 300, a second printing, and it was a gold foil, only 500 printed, exclusive to New York Comic Con. And 
they sold it at the table for 50 bucks in image table for 50 bucks limited to two so right there image was getting 100 bucks per customer times oh, yeah. that by the 500 they're making bank on it the comic book store here that i saw it at had a 250 dollar ticket on it and that's all because of that resale flip like if you add rarity to it and it has that resale value you can skyrocket that price yeah, and it's part too because they don't realize that just because they can't capitalize on the on the resale, like like Yeezys, you know, like sneakers, like people are into huge, like you know, there's certain Yeezys made by Kanye that like they're if you actually get on the ticket, they're only worth like 150, 250 dollars. Yeah. Then some of them resell for like you know a thousand dollars, and it's and and yeah, you know, Kanye doesn't get to capitalize on the a thousand, but the point is that he if he ever releases them, they will always all sell. Yep. He doesn't have to have any extra inventory ever because he knows that because they resell for a lot, that even if the people who want them can't get them, that they that they can go buy it from someone else who with a lot more money. So yeah. it's brilliant, and yeah. he doesn't need that. Like that, he doesn't need to charge a thousand for it. Like that's not you know if he can sell five hundred of them, he's still going to make a ton of money. <laughs> yep, he's playing a long game with that one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's definitely awesome. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, I actually have to head out in a little bit, but uh, before I do, uh, definitely want to make sure everyone knows where to find you. So um, first off, uh, how can people find your Kickstarter before it ends tonight? So if uh, you're listening to this before the Kickstarter ends, it's really easy. Go to DustCountyChronicles.com. That'll take you right there. Uh, That's D-U-S-K. I have to make that distinction because whenever I said it on a couple of interviews, people thought I was saying D-U-S-T. It, it's not Dust County. That's entirely different. Uh, so Dust County with a K, uh, Chronicles.com, that'll take you to the Kickstarter. After the Kickstarter's done, you can still find us there. That'll take you to the Dust County website. And awesome. then we're also on Facebook at Metal Ninja Studios and Dust County Chronicles. Um, and Instagram at Metal Ninja Studios and Twitter at M Ninja Studios. Oh, I lost it on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. Oh, with Twitter, it was a spatial thing. I oh, think too long. Yeah, they just wouldn't let us type it out. They're like, your name's too long. Shorten it. So <laughs> you might want to check that out again because I think after um, in 2016 when they blew up because of all the political stuff, they they I think they had to extend the names because they were probably running out of <laughs> running out of space. Because yeah, I think I think at one point I tried to get a name and I couldn't get it because it was too long. Okay. And then uh, I later tried to get it, and it worked. So, yeah, okay. yeah I'll give it a shot. I want my Metal Ninja Studios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely check it out. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, well, we're going to cut the podcast in a second, but we'll keep you on for a second. Um, yeah. Just to, you know, chat away. <laughs> so, All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and uh, see us next time.